Hello, everybody, and welcome back to the Vandal Trung Curious World podcast. I'm your host, Vandal Trung. Um, you know, a lot of people want to project an image of how smart or philosophical they are, uh, be it social media or in person. I mean, are they saying anything original? It seems to me that, you know, people, have, they, they, they put on these personas, they, these masks, you know, whether I'm, I'm this, I'm, I'm really into fitness or I'm the motivational speaker or, um, you know, I'm, I'm really funny or I'm this kind of troll. And I admit, you know, I, I do that to some degree. But what are we, what are we trying to communicate? I mean, what, what, what are we trying to convey to each other? Uh, are we just kind of regurgitating the same messages? Are we trying to identify I belong to this tribe? Or are we just trying to bully? I mean, what is the purpose of, I guess, essentially mankind when you think about the future? The audio clip that you just heard was from uh, Roy Batty's famous speech from, from Blade Runner. Um, which talks, you know, examines humanity and, and obviously takes place in the future. So I started thinking a lot about, you know, where we're going. I mean, the future is really, uh, I think, is is really what will happen in the time after the present, right? I mean, that's that's I guess technically what it is. It's the arrival of what we consider inevitable due to. Um, the existence of of time and and the laws of physics, right? That's the future. So how does humankind and, and and what we're striving to do relate to the future, which is inevitable? Uh, well, I my guest today uh, we explore that. So I, I'm happy to have on the show um, repeated guests, a real, real life friend, uh, Shuli Halleck. Uh, we recorded this. Uh, this is our, you know, uh, if you if you listen to the show, you know she's been on uh, several times. Uh, this is our first recording uh, in 2018. We recorded it at her place with the, the first appearance of her uh, rescue dog, the lovable Jackson. So without further delay, my uh, conversation about humanity and the future with the great Shuli Halleck starts now. You want a podcast? Great. So you have some audio on your website that nobody goes to. You're listening to Vandal Tron's Curious World Podcast. Sit back and relax. Everything's going to be cool. Presumed evolution. 
Well, so when, when you asked me about thinking about a topic, I guess this is the one that came to mind because I've sort of been thinking about this um, for a few years in terms of, well, from my background in terms of the internet and the purpose of the internet and then um, why we're even, why we create systems and then, and then looking at other systems like ant colonies or bee colonies that seem to have, um, like every individual uh, ant or bee seems to have some like uh, programmed purpose um, for, for the betterment of the hive or you know the colony or whatever and they like know what they're supposed to do and I, so I started to wonder about like our species why we keep on pushing and creating and this has to be some sort of evolve like we must be programmed in some way to keep on creating because if you think about it we already kind of hit peak civil civilization. We have shelter, we have running water, we have, you know, all the modern conveniences and luxuries f that, that kind of, what, what else do we need to do? We, we've covered Maslow's hierarchy of needs and now we're, now we're just in sort of a mode that we, we keep on creating. We didn't have to create an information system like the internet. We don't have to create, you know, flying cars and all these things. So what is pushing us to do this? What is this like drive that, some members of our species have and other members of our species crave for this this other kind of advancement and i started to think that you know it's like a transgenerational thing so even within our own generation our own lifetime we we're not seeing the end result of it but it's getting us i think um just to kind of put the whole spoiler on my theory is I think that um, we're, we're creating these systems, we're creating like uh, wireless um, information transfers as a way that, that we're evolving our own brains and our own modes of communicating. My hunch is that we're starting to get to a point of even, um, uh, what's the word I'm looking for? Like ESP, like that we communicate on a nonverbal basis that we're using wavelengths to communicate. And I think we've, we're creating tools that are helping shape our brains and our being um, to get to that point. So I think this is like some crude rudimentary tool to get us there. So you see it as a good thing? Yes, ultimately I see it as a good thing. And I think that that's the other reason why I wanted to talk about this topic because I was talking about this with somebody else recently that, you know, People have, we, we tend to have these binary conversations of the internet is good, the internet is bad, you know, Facebook. I, I use that. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I, I but more I, as a way to evade uh, conversation. Yeah, you, you do that as like a, a cocktail party. You're like, well, what do you think of this? <laughs> okay, bye. <laughs> Talk amongst yourselves. <laughs> but um, my, my, I don't think it's good or bad. I think we, are, we, we have some sort of deep programming within us not specific maybe it is or isn't specific to creating these specific things but i think this is a a um a, a we're, we're building the the steps on the bridge we're building this the steps on the path we're laying down each you know brick on the path to where we're going and maybe right now we can't even see where we're going or but we know we have to lay this brick down we know that we're this is our job this is our purpose i think right so i think it's uh I think it's human to to quant and I just I just was just guilty of this to quantify things as good and bad and right and wrong where things just are. Um, I think I'm between the two of us. I think I'm a little more pessimistic about things than than you are. I think I agree with with what you said. I think the our human existence I think is kind of like we're the caterpillar, and it seems almost inevitable that. Uh, the the marriage of uh, human life and technology are going to they're going to merge right so hence the the birth of AI right that has to, I mean it seems like that's going to be the evolution of of the next um, I guess humanity or lack thereof yeah yeah I mean I I have gone down I, when I started this project to, to show what the internet is, I was extremely optimistic about it. And then as I got deeper into it, I actually started to feel like, well, game over. What's the point of even trying? 
And I think it even sent me into a... What's the point of even trying to explain what it is or even getting out of it? I think we're going into 1984 surveillance. Be because of technology or because the audience? I think I think both. They, they, as, as humans, I think we, we have a tendency to, or as whatever, creatures, we have a tendency to stay within a system as long as it's convenient enough. And the moment that we either feel too trapped or too enslaved, or it's no longer convenient, I think we'll start to actually go through the motions of discomfort. We'll get out of our comfort zone to get out of whatever we're, we, we found ourselves in. So I think technology created a very comfortable bubble for us. Um, add to that the addictive nature of constantly getting likes and pings and whatever. Um, but I, th I, I started to see it as like, there's no way out for us. We are going into a 1984 surveillance state. And then that was like, okay, well, so what, right? But the different, uh, sorry, I know it's self-recognized. We talked about this. I have this bad habit of, of interrupting. So I, I don't mean anything. I won't lash out at you. <laughs> <laughs> but the difference between uh, what Orwell uh, predicted and what is actually happening is that, you know, he, he you know, his, yeah. his idea was that it's going to be a government state and it's going to be totalitarian. Whereas we've come to the same conclusion, except... The only difference is people have uh, volunteer, right. voluntarily given up right. their, their privacy. Right. And so which that is makes more insidious, even, yeah. Yeah. Because we've sort of, we're co-conspirators in our own enslavement in some ways. Um, but, you know, and I don't, I don't know how much Orwell could have even predicted that. Like, that, that seemed, from, from the 1940s, that seems like such a, especially after World War II, that seems like such a crazy thing to think that we would actually want to trap ourselves but it makes it all the more effective in some sense but i i also think that ultimately systems have to be self-sustaining so maybe in let, let's just say maybe in our lifetime even we do get into we, we're already sort of halfway into a surveillance state it's just becoming more and more um useful for governments and corporations to do this um, but but systems have to be sustaining. So maybe in our lifetime we'll, we won't get out of it, or even in the next lifetime or generation. But ultimately, this isn't a sustainable practice for an entire population of the entire Earth of seven plus billion people to enslave them in this way because you can't go one to one, right? Like authority to. But it's to, not enslavement if people are doing it voluntarily. Well, at a certain point, I think what is going to happen is they're going to realize they've enslaved themselves. They've signed up for something that they didn't see coming, and there'll be a break um, mm. in that system. The, there'll be why? a rebellion because why do you, it's not. It's not based on what. Because so, I think that the what we're not seeing is the we, we have this implicit trust in all the entities that, maybe not the government, but we have an implicit trust in the entities that we're giving our data to. Mm -hmm. And we haven't seen the ways that that is, we haven't fully felt the force of how that could go wrong. We have bits and pieces where you have the Equifax, you know, data breach, why are you shaking your yeah. head? Because you feel like- People are aware, but they don't care. I think because, right? It's a, I think it's a, it's a shrug, no, like, well, I think it becomes, there's nothing I can do about it, it. Exactly. I think it becomes something like climate change or feeding all the homeless people or whatever. It's like, well, I can't do anything, so I'm just going to keep on going with my life. Right. Pollution's bad, but I'm not going to give up my car. Well, why should I give up my car if you're not going to give up your car? Like, right. it's a, how is my giving up my car going to make a dent right. in this? So yes. it goes back to it goes back to what, what you were saying. How does this system correct it? Could it possibly correct itself? I think it will correct itself when we hit a moment that it's it's gone too far. Um, I don't. In other words, I can't see us staying in a in a you know a trapped surveillance state like Orwell's you know an Orwellian narrative in perpetuity. I think maybe we get there, and that's an interesting story. But I don't think it's the end. I think there will be a break in that system because there are going to be too many people that are going to want to rebel against it. There's we're we're not built to be sort of contained and trapped and uh, or unless we go into some sort of matrix reality where um you know the machines the artificial intelligence figures out how to use our bodies as pure power like pure energy mm -hmm. and traps our brain in a virtual reality that we see as real so we're kind of dissociated from our body and we live in another reality i'm sure a lot of people would like that I think I think a lot of people really would like that, and that is definitely a form of control. I, I agree with everything you said except this presumed rebellion. 
which I don't think it, I don't I don't think that's in the na in in the nature of, of of the human experience right now. I because think there's there's nothing to rebel against because they we've done it to ourselves. Uh, well, okay. So I always think that there's going to be a minority of people that are just rebellious in nature, that they're, you know, got an angst to them or, you know, activist edge or whatever. And they're always going to see how the system is repressing or suppressing certain opinions. And, you know, they can see that the, the, the herd is being herded and they don't like it. And so they're going to try to push out of it. Um, I think we, there are, is a, a slight rebellion, if not more than slight a rebellion happening right now against um, a surveillance state, against um, consolidation of power by corporations that mask themselves as, um, you know, good, trustworthy, bubbly, cartoony type entities that are just helping your life. Or um, it's not loud enough and it's not big enough because the convenience factor is too big for things um, that, that technology is providing. But I, th I think once, so we're in this sort of gray zone where we've, for the, ma the majority of us or all of us have, um, are complicit in, in, in this machine, in this cycle that we voluntarily are putting um, surveillance equipment in our homes. Mm -hmm. Amazon Alexa, Echo, Alexa, yeah, Alexa uh, you know, Google, whatever. Our Alexa and Echo are the same thing, right? Yeah, I mean, Alexa is the Siri uh, function, and Echo is like, I think, the device or whatever it is. So, uh, like, you, whatever, Alexa is the person <laughs> that you Alexa is that little, little yeah, the, like the, thermos thing? Yeah, the device, I think, is called Echo. Or Does whatever. it link up to Amazon? It's an Amazon thing, yeah. And oh, I think they've that's... cornered the market in, in this area, so in, this, in the home assistance. That's Alexa. That's Alexa. So what's Amazon. the other? So Google Home is the is another one. And that's also like it's a also a in home speaker. Thing. Mm -hmm. okay. Yeah, it's a different shape, but it's you know instead of saying you know Alexa, you say okay Google, or whatever. And, and Wait, sorry, we got sidetracked. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I have a lot of funny. I was starting to think of a lot of funny stories around these things. But anyway, um, uh, we we voluntarily put these. We pay. Mm -hmm. And voluntarily put these things in our home that are always on and always listening. And the trade, you know, for us, it's like, oh, I can tell this thing to turn on the music, or you know, start my Roomba, or like connected to like all these things in my home that, for me personally, I just don't see the appeal because like, what's so hard about going over and turning my music on myself? But that's an analog way of thinking. It's a very analog way of thinking. But that's because I'm actually aware of the trade-off that's being made. And I think we're in this gray area right now where we're not, we're not, the consequences can't be made tangible without sounding alarmist, which I've noticed is the real challenge in all of this. For the past few years, I've noticed this is a really big challenge. How do you convey the gravity of the situation without sounding alarmist. I think that was, that's been the challenge with climate change, right? Like how do you convey that, you know, at a certain point, like the carbon whatever levels are gonna get too high, we're gonna start to see erratic changes in, in weather. Um, and you know, 10 years ago, everyone's like, well, but it's not happening now, so what does it matter? And even today, it's like, okay, well, it's happening now, but it's too late. So how do you convey these things without sounding like doomsday apocalyptic? And at that point, people kind of tune out anyway, right? Because what, what one step can I take right now to do this? So um, I think that we're in this, in, in this weird zone where we're getting a lot of upfront convenience and a lot of upfront like fun things, mm -hmm. right? Like I was almost tempted to get an Alexa because like, that's so cool. I could just ask the weather and it'll tell me the weather then, rather than like flip through my phone. Um, but we're not seeing the sort of, that's the tip of the iceberg and we're not seeing the entire beast of the iceberg underneath, which is all the things that are being collected on us as this thing is on, right? So like, um, I, I was reading that, um, you know, like it, it's just basically collecting all your conversations. It knows when you're fighting with your partner. It knows when you're yelling at your kids. It knows what you want to eat for dinner. It knows all the things that like, it's if the walls could talk kind of thing. And I think that um, w once we get to the point that um, we really realize what's happening, it's going to be like this broken system where all these things are going to be used against us, but it's going to be a too late type of thing. Like we're already going to be entrapped in some way. Um, and we won't have a choice of getting out.
But what does that mean? What does it mean we're, we're going to be trapped? It, it's, you know. Addicted? Or both. like something more. Uh, addicted and, and, um, and authoritarian entities will know too much about us. So the repression factor will be too big and too easy. Right? So things that keep um, humans in check because we're, we're such a herd is like the, the, the fear of public humiliation. Right? Like, you, we, you know, if somebody threatened to announce something, some horrible secret about me, um, that might, for me or maybe for some other people, keep them in check and keep them. It's like th essentially a bribe, right? Like, if you don't do this, I'm going to, you know, expose this deep, dark secret about you. And so it keeps you in check. Um, unless you absolutely do not care about your deep, dark secrets coming out, um, you'll do what you're kind of bribed or forced or repressed into doing. And I think we're sort of heading in that area where there's going to be a control state. It's not even a surveillance state. It's going to be a control state where this is known about you. We, we know that you're 16 and pregnant or that you have this STD or that you spoke to this person about this thing. And if you don't want that coming out, you better just stay in line kind of thing. And it's a system of control. I, I think it's very hard to convince anybody. <laughs> hey! <laughs> I think it's very hard to convince anybody to take away things and not add things. Yeah. And when you talk about when you when you introduce this these modes of convenience, it's very hard to take it away. Absolutely. So that leads me to think that this is a a means to an evolution. And Jackson wants to get involved in this conversation. <laughs> Come here, Jackson. I don't mind the licking. He just, I'm just sometimes. Is he nipping? Some, no, he, he was fine right there. Okay, hey, shh, sit down. Sit. You already finished your bone. Um, I th I think that we're building right now. We're this sort of guinea pig generation that's kind of going through a lot of these trials and errors, and even weirdly volunteering for a lot of the stuff. But I I ultimately think that this is this is the point. This is the 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 path to whatever we're becoming next. And I'm talking like spans of like, you know, millenniums, not even decades. Like we're evolving to something else. And this is the, the rudimentary process to that. So we might have within that time, like, you know, different, you know, kinds of levels of controls and, and successes and failures. And we might, you know, maybe that's also shaping the path to future you know, human species where we really learn to become free of systemic control. I have no idea, but I think we have to, I've, I've become very clear that we have to go down this path. There's no other path. What path? The, the path that we're on. The addiction path? Yeah, the addiction path, the um, volunteer, volunteering to voluntarily um, becoming part of the system. It's not like you said, and I think we've talked about before that it isn't the Orwellian future where the TVs are forced into your home the monitors are forced into your home we actually are paying mm -hmm. to put them in our home and we're liking them um but i th i think that this is and i and i and i think that all the all the components of this the 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 volunteering for the addiction and then the necessary necessary rebellion that will ensue as a result of it are all part of this um other thing that we're building that is getting us to somewhere else. Like these are little distractions on the way. Well, it just doesn't stop. It won't it, stop. It, it just, just be, let's say everybody said, "Hey, this is dangerous. We're not going to do the weird. We're not going to do this anymore." See, systems, economic systems, are already in place. So, uh, in terms of every marketing campaign, every is based on. Research, research has changed. Uh, demographic research has changed based on this new technology, the way they can capture technology. Yeah. They are relying on that. And yeah. so, I mean, I, I don't know what is more effective and not, but, you know, uh, agencies get... I have a friend that uh, works at an agency, and he said that he gets solicited every, almost on a daily basis. Like, hey, we have, we're sitting on this information. It's like a third-party vendor. You want it? Like, he had to do a campaign. Uh, for folks listening, I, I mentioned this in the other podcast. I, we had to do a campaign for Nike. You know, the demographic was, you know, for sneakers. So it's like 14 to 24 or whatever. 
he said, of course I'm going to, I'm not going to pass up on that information course, about, yeah. you know, urban youth, what, what they, what they like to eat, what they like to watch on YouTube, yeah. what they like to wear, where they like to shop, yeah. where they live. Of course, I'm going to use that. Yeah. So, so a couple, a couple of thoughts. Like one, one is, um, when you were saying like, we're not going to stop, I agree. There's no going back and we shouldn't even want to go back. The, we're, we're moving forward. My, my question to you and, and even to your listeners is, you know, think about like think about yourself. How much of this is even within your own nature? How much do you, do you want? Like you, we don't want to, you know, unplug. Um, some of us might have temptations to unplug from the grid, and I've like deleted my Facebook or whatever. But within each of us, I feel like there's some sort of um, desire to engage with these technologies and it isn't even necessarily because of addiction i think that there's something in us that is m making us interested in these systems of information um and even as you were just talking about your friend about the nike campaign right like you get now we're, we're able to um collect uh analyze and report such granular levels of data that some of it is kind of like wow this is interesting about me personally, this is interesting about our species, um, that we're able to sort of look at things at such a grand, it's almost like this is the most detailed mirror we could have ever come up with in terms of looking at ourselves. And I think that's part of the addiction and part of the drive. Well, why would he give that up? Why would he go back to Throwing darts at a dartboard yeah. for his campaigns. Yeah. Because it's, it's about money. And, I mean, the Trump campaign did that really... Obama's campaign did that really well. And Trump campaigns figured out figured out targeted advertising really well. Um, and they can, you know, play on, on people's um, sort of emotional blind spots. Like, that they, you know, you, they could figure out, well, this user or this person likes blue better than green and this kind of imagery better than this kind of imagery so we're gonna programmatically create these ads that there were over a hundred thousand different kinds of ads that were created programmatically so one would have like a picture of the american flag and a picture of like you know trump looking very presidential versus you know hillary looking evil or whatever it is they kind of figured out what's going to play best to that particular person and then they serve it to them on facebook and it and it works so those tools have always been there right since yeah. kennedy versus nixon they right. you know let's show a picture of nixon under the hot lights sweating and <laughs> show kennedy looking like a, a leader yeah. so those things though the, yeah. the the tools that are the the approach has been is is the same yeah the tools are are, are a little are more enhanced yeah so I guess it gets back to our, you know, kind of our, our actual topic of if you were to remove this technology, the technology is just a, uh, it's just a vehicle, right? Yeah. So from, from where we were to where we're going, yeah. how different would we be? So how this different is would interesting. our future be? This conversation is making, is kind of even clarifying my thoughts on this a bit, which is kind of cool. So I, I actually think... Um, that what we're doing is building a way to understand ourselves even better. In the process, because we don't even know what we've built, we're giving up a lot of information about ourselves. But I think we, even in the way that we're building um, artificial intelligence, right? Uh, when I studied philosophy in the 90s in undergrad, I was very interested in, the, in um, sort of how the brain works, like uh, how we form perception and language and so, sort of like theories of information. Yeah, yeah please go for it. Um, but it, it's, it was sort of this like scientists looked at philosophers working in epistemology or, you know, um, and, and, and theories of mind as sort of like fringe uh, out there, you know, you're just philosophers. Fast forward, you know, to today where um, Jackson's eating a roll of tape. Yes. What's he doing? Fast forward to today where you have, uh, you know, companies like Microsoft actually hiring philosophers to help their AI teams understand what consciousness is. So I think that all the stuff that we're doing, there's going to be, you know, little, you know, moments of what we perceive as danger or failure. But I think ultimately what we're doing is building 
a way of understanding the way our mind works, the way our emotions work, the way our desires work on such a granular level that it's going to help our us understand ourselves and therefore grow and evolve. Mm, you I'm don't not, see I'm, it. I'm not that... Uh... I don't. I don't mean that positively. I see this ramp of technology and this decrease in introspection. I think in the short one, yes, there will be a decrease. I mean, currently. Yeah. I yeah. Mean, I mean, I mean, in our lifetime, I think we're screwed in some ways. I mean, look at look at all the like the uh, all these big major tech companies. How they're they're putting their own personal and political fingerprint on on the way they do business mm -hmm. and the way they conduct you know um business in uh, uh internally as well as externally the messages they're putting out it seems very infantile to me but yet we're we're going forward we're only going one direction as far as that's a interesting adjective that that you use infantile because as you were saying this i i was thinking we're coming out of the industrial era out of a different system and a different way of of building things and now we're in the information era and we're still using our knowledge and tools of that previous era to build this era so i do think it's a lot like um, an overgrown child you know or like whatever i'll use my dog as an analogy that's like in an, in an adult dog body but still has a puppy mentality and so acts like an overgrown puppy which is kind of annoying you know it's like you're not a puppy anymore there's no cuteness to this anymore um, I mean, whatever, he's still very cute, I love him, but that wasn't the point I was making, but it's like, you know, when you have, um, uh, even a, like a teenager, a 17 year old that like suddenly grows a beard and they're like, I'm a man, but you're like, you're not a man yet. You know, you still have so much more to learn. Oh, no, I, okay. Um, that I think like we're in the, the early stages of this new era and we're using, companies are using, people are using, governments are using ways of being and, and tried and true methods of of success that were that applied to the previous era so using your analogy of 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 the of the of the 17 year old who thinks he's a man through his life through his experiences that he'll be gaining he'll have insight that when he was 17 then he he, he saw the world a little differently yeah as a society with with technology I, I don't really see that happening I mean the internet whether it's Twitter or well social media but anything right you, well the look at the media right so it's just it's just like a big shouting match where because everybody has uh, a smartphone you have an opinion and no I think that for me I, I at one time fancied myself as a uh, as a wanted to be a journalist so the, the death of journalism to me is, is, is personally sad because we don't care about news anymore. We just jump on narratives. Yeah. And then when those narratives kind of filter out because the, nothing really supports it, people, and then it's like the boy who cried wolf. I'm talking from the public's perspective. So it's like, yeah, who cares? So, okay, so since you mentioned Trump, he could say, look, I'm a Satanist. And I think most people, regardless of, so you either think he's a, a, a uh, he's evil and you want him removed or you think he's the greatest thing ever, right? And so those things are almost permanent now and, the, and because of the media. Because it's just, it's just over and over and over again. So you're either going to ride that narrative and agree with it or you're going to continuously resist it. So my, my point is, uh, well, just in terms of journalism, is that is a reflection, I think, of how people are misused, well, I shouldn't say misuse, how people are using technology. And I don't see any, I don't see a way out of that hole. In fact, I only see it getting worse. I think it will get worse. Um, so I, I think what you said circles back to what we were talking about earlier, that we're very binary. You know, we're kind of like, it's either this or that. And I think with Trump, or I, we have a two-party system in this country. I think for the most part, the narratives tend to feed our binary way of thinking. It's like, this person is good and this person is evil and I'm going in that direction. Like if I like this person, I necessarily detest this person. Mm -hmm. Everything they say, no matter if they actually say something I agree with, I'm going to hate. It's, it's this way of like we kind of filter the world that way. Um, I think what's happening 
now, I mean, you were talking about social media, how everyone's kind of out there and, and, and like, you know, we, we've had, we've had this opening of the floodgates and then, you know, I've alluded to us coming out of the, or I've spoken about us coming out of the industrial era and part of that, um, and I think I've mentioned this author and book in a previous podcast that I was on with you called, um, it's the author's Clay Shirky. Mm -hmm. Um, and now I'm forgetting the book. Uh, but anyway, he, he, I, I enjoyed, um, the way he made me think about, uh, it's a, it's a good book. Um, last time I remembered the name of the book and couldn't remember his name and now I remember his name and not the book. Um, but he was talking about how during the industrial era, information was kind of a, we consumed information in a, in a passive sense. We were literally couch potatoes in, their information was controlled through central organizations. We had only a few broadcast channels and we sat passively watching whatever was delivered to us. What happened now is we kind of tore down the floodgates and we're not only consumers, but we're creators of information. And we've also blown apart the system of like centralized um, de delivery of information. He, he, he agrees. He's, he's trying to talk to us about Clay. Yeah. Jackson. What's going on? And then, and then what happened? Cognitive surplus? Yes. Okay. Cognitive surplus. All right. So I'll so edit all that. And then you'll just say cognitive surplus and you'll seem like really So funny. yeah. So this great book, Cognitive Surplus by Clay Shirky, talks talks about um, basically tearing down the floodgates and all, and all this, the, the abilities of people to now come online and do all this stuff. So it's almost like think about like how we were kind of held back from, from all the things we ever wanted to do, even being famous, right? So we had a system where like only certain people could become famous. There, not everybody could. And now we have a, a system where it's like you could be a YouTube. Anyone could. Yeah, be you a YouTube could set. light your brother on fire, and then hey, you get like three million followers. It, no, you know, you don't have to be anointed as like a celebrity or, or someone famous. Now you could become star, singer, whatever, and it and it's not through the traditional gatekeepers. So there's almost like this mad rush through a, an older. Um, paradigm of success and stardom, right? Like, we're still in this mode of thinking that um, fame and celebrity and the way that we've sort of seen the world, Hollywood stars and starlets and whatever, is actually the path to being extremely successful and meaningful. Um, still? You think people still feel that way? I, it's clear. I mean, like, you know, there's... I think part of it is programming that we're... we're um, that we're you know no matter who we are and what like when somebody likes what we do it, it gives us a like a pat on the back but there is this thing of like uh, see you know having some sort of validation about yourself um because of how many followers you have sure how many people but i don't but you're saying that that's the that's similar to like I'm saying that model follows what, what we've been To be heard. famous. Yeah, okay. yeah. It's, it's like now a race to become a celebrity. Okay, so would you agree that with the advancement of technology, it's been a regression, not only in emotion, but on the artistic level as well? Absolutely. Okay, so... I don't think that that's bad, though. I think any growth process, you have two steps forward, one step back. I think growth involves falling backwards at times. So how does this get autocorrected? It's exactly it. It's autocorrected. I think we'll be able... We're, we're, we're in a moment of, of change, and change means you're doing things based on what you, knew, you, what you previously knew, and now you're trying to learn something new. So you don't get to download that new information. It, it, it's, it's, a, it's a growth process, right? So like there's a stretch there. Um, like even when your muscles are growing, they kind of hurt for a little bit. So... Jackson, stop. No, 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 stop. I knew he'd be very vocal. Um, I think he's trying to compete with my, my cats when they were vocal on the podcast. <laughs> <laughs> um, so I get that. but in So that's theory. But in reality, if, uh, you know, I don't want to be, you know, Eddie Van Halen, you know, would practice good playing guitar, you know, hours and hours every day. You think most kids do that? I, I know I've used this analogy before. Yeah. <laughs> no, I'll just go on. This is when you sound like an old man. <laughs> I'll go on my phone and dilly dilly or 
Yeah. If I want to actually write a song, I'll use GarageBand or something. That's where technology, I think, is infringing on art. So, 19, I think it was, I think it was 1989 was the record of most um, films released by black filmmakers. You had um, Spike Lee. Yeah, Spike Lee. You had uh, you had um, the Hudlin brothers. You know. Uh, Obviously, it's the, it's the record number. Um, I didn't, 1989? Wow. Yeah, either in 89 or 91. I'm pretty sure it's 89. Because, um, yeah, he had Do the Right Thing. You had uh, this movie called Scrat Out of Brooklyn. Anyway, we have better technology now. In fact, it's cheaper to make films now than it was back then. So where are all these movies? Because now people are distracted. They don't. There's other things to do. I'd rather, you know, why, why do that? So the idea of... Um, another Picasso or another even even Spike another Spike Lee I, I, I think that's going to so be that, far that's a very interesting point because my um, counter to what you're saying is what if Picasso was alive today would he even be Picasso no, probably not probably no. be into some other stuff no even if he was as talented and did his what I'm saying is the, the there's so much war. noise yeah there's so much noise back then, whatever, there were gatekeepers. And so only a certain select... She wants to know if she should pick up anything? Uh, I'm going to make like a guacamole, I mean, for all the people that are interested <laughs> in what we're going to be doing. Um, I'll make some guacamole. And, so I should uh, say yes or no? Uh, unless you guys want something else. No, like, I have guacamole okay. and cheese, like if she wants to, and chips. But if she wants to, she can, but I have stuff. Thank you. Um, um, I, 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 you know, it, there were there were more gatekeepers, which also so. I, I've examined this through the lens of photography, not to make a pun, but um, when photography sort of came to be, only certain people could afford it, afford the equipment. It was so expensive, and you even have access to it. So those were the people that became the good photographers and the famous photographers, and then. Um, you know, even as the technology advanced, right, like it was still um, a matter of getting access to it. So, the, you know, the flood, the gatekeepers went away and the floodgates came down as soon as the smartphones came around. And everyone had a pretty decent camera and had the means to post it. So, you know, would we have the same, would we have the Ansel Adams and all these other photographers today that we did then, I think the talent is still very much there. It's just that only certain people had the ability to rise to a level of visibility and recognition back then because there were so many um, gates in place. Um, it, it doesn't take away from anyone's genius at all, Picasso's genius or Ansel Adams' genius. I just think there's now so many more, the, the ability for so many more to rise. There's, there's just more noise. There's more shit and there's more genius out there, I think. It's just so much harder to, to, to see it and hear it and feel it. But that's presumptive, right? So if we, can't, if we can't find it, right? So based on your theory, it's out there, we just can't find it. So that's presumptive, right? Sure. Okay. Um, yeah, because I, I, I disagree. I don't think it's out there. And I think people are distracted in early age. You know, people are, kids are getting, like, smartphones when they're six years old. You know, call your parents in case of emergency. Yeah, right. They're playing, you know, Fruit Ninja or whatever. And so that addiction is happening so early nowadays that, you know, it's... Well, I don't even know about the health ramifications of having a oh, yeah. smartphone with you all the sure. time. But it's like, when I was a kid, there were moments where I was bored. Where I was just like, man, I'm bored as shit. And I would just like try to imagine things. I would imagine, mm -hmm. you know, soldiers or cowboys or, you know, fantasy mm -hmm. realms. You'd or... make something up. Right. Because I, mean, I just, because, you know, I was, or build a fort or whatever. Yeah. Yeah. If I had a phone, then yeah, I'd probably just be like a fat fuck and just Playing like games. eat Cheetos yeah. and just like play on my phone. Yes, it's, it's grumpy old man. <laughs> commenting on on this on this era but from a when you take a step back and commenting on the direction we're going 
Look, whether it's writing or photography, any anytime you produce something, that takes work. And not a whole lot of people can do that thing. Otherwise, everybody would be doing it. And distraction takes a take, it plays a big part of that. So you're going to have the, the, the numbers get shrunk. I mean, that's an interesting way to look at it. I don't, it's not that I disagree with you. I just think what's happening is that all the signals now are getting amplified, which means everyone can now do things and, and make it visible. Um, sure, our ten, I, I actually do agree with you that our attention span in general is being cut down quite a bit because of just the nature of the devices and even just the interference of signals. Um, I think why, the Wi-Fi signals that are being propagated into the air must have some interference in some ways. They have interference with other um, machines, right? Like microwave interferes with Wi-Fi. And they couldn't figure, when, in the early days of Wi-Fi, they couldn't figure that out for a long time, that some, certain companies, um, all of a sudden their internet would go down when someone put the microwave on in the kitchen. And they're like, why did Doesn't our... Then the cell phone towers isn't they killing isn't that what's killing bees? They don't know. I don't know. Maybe uh, I, I don't think that there is this, uh, certainly an effect. There was you know experiments being done of um, plants being put right near a, a router, a Wi-Fi router, and far away from a Wi-Fi router, and the ones right near the Wi-Fi router like don't grow, right? So there's you know th these whatever you can prove so many things in so many different ways, but it's a, it's, it, I think it would be naive to ignore the fact that these actual frequencies aren't impacting us in some way. Um, again, I don't think it's good or bad. I just think it's a reality. So I do think, on that note, I think our attention span has, has been cut down quite a bit. It's easier to escape. So I want to ask you about, you know, since we're, we're talking about the potential progress of... of our species, mm -hmm. you know, with with the advancement of technology, are we going to? How will religion play up its part in in, in all this? That's a, why. Why do you ask that? That's an interesting question. Well, I mean, I mean, because religion's here, right? It's it's two thousand eighteen and. You know, religion is still here. So, I mean... Okay, here, here's my point. So, Aristotle said that the purpose of humankind is to use, to, to, to duck reason, to use reason, and, and, and to cultivate life based on reason, which is complete opposite of religion. Because religion is based on belief, mm -hmm. but yet here we are in 2018, mm -hmm. and we have a couple dozen people who are into religion. Yeah. <laughs> so, with the advancement of technology and how that's going to be more predominant in our lives, it, how will that affect religion in our lives? So, I I think that people um, turn to Religion is a, is a difficult thing because you could sort of be religious without actually subscribing to a religion, right? You could be religious about things. You could be religious about exercise or, right? Okay, but I'm an actual religion. But, but actual religion, I... Okay, or unless you want to expand it, so, we can so, talk about so, belief. So, so, right, let's go to that. So okay. you said religion is, is not about proving facts. It's about actually believing in something that you can't see, right? Or, or Ideologies, let's talk about that. Okay. Whether it's CrossFit or... We could talk about ideologies, or we could we could talk about the what I, what it, we could talk about that too. And I, but what I want to say is that, um, and I can't help but think of Obama's weird thing that he said when he was campaigning that people cling to religion and guns. Um, I think I think we turn to all of us sometimes in moments of deep crisis or inexplicable tragedy, start looking up and asking for help from God. Right? Like, oh my God, why is this happening to me? God, please help me. Like, my everyone's. I have done. a midterm tomorrow. Well, I have a midterm, or like, I have cancer, or I, I don't know what's going on right now. Like, it basically a deep, deep fear of an unknown, which yeah. is the opposite of basically science can't help you right now. 
let's let's talk well, about the rock star who has like a multi multi platinum record. He's not finding God. It's no, when he's, he's completely bankrupt and his wife's left him. That's when he finds. When God. you're on the brink of death, basically. Right. So apart, I, I I think religion is a is an institution that kind of. Um, um, put some structure around people's fears but I think ultimately when we turn to religion it's like we're looking for some sort of solace from our fear we're looking for an explanation for things that are un we, we can't explain and if and if you're told well it's written in the bible or god said this and I'm not I'm not poo-pooing any of this I, I think that there's something meaningful and something beautiful about these things that allow you to explore things that you, science can't prove because look how much look how far science has come even in the past hundred years mm -hmm. and we weren't even able to explain black holes or dark matter and now we're kind of getting closer to it we haven't even been able to explain consciousness or the soul we still can't but we're getting closer to it and it takes leaps of faith to even get there and um, I think technology, to answer your question, is ultimately bridging the gap between the known and the unknown. I think all the things that we're doing, even creating artificial intelligence, and um, we're, we're getting closer to understanding how our consciousness works. In, in, in creating self-driving cars, right? Um, engineers have to figure out how the, human, how the human brain even makes a decision. Hey. Like, why would you swerve to, why would you swerve, hey, stop it, sit, why would you swerve to avoid that, whereas I wouldn't have, or, it's morality, well, how do you explain that, how do you, how do you distill that down to a program, to, to something that you could, that's subject, could, subjectivity, so what so is, based on the programmer, or the programmer, but how did, how did, how do you explain that to a, what does that even mean, basically? You mean in terms of like a self-driving car? In like yeah, in terms of like... It's so, so it's based so on like, so I can program and say, you can hit all the old white, all the old white ladies, but, you know, avoid the right. black people. But, but, but this becomes more nuanced, right? So like Mercedes initially was, uh, was programming their self-driving cars to preserve the life of the driver. But people don't always think that way. Some people might be like, well, fuck everybody else. I'm just going to drive until I die. Or I will never, ever, like, put my own life at risk. But other people might be like, if there's, a, like, 12 children here, I will drive off that cliff. And it's a split-second decision. So it's not even something you could explain. Like, if you're sitting here right now telling me your theories and philosophy on life and your outlook, but it's a split-second decision when you're actually on the road driving and you're, like, swerving. Mm -hmm. Or you may just barrel into those kids or nuns or whatever it is, right? Like, these are actual things that, that engineers are now f tasked with and faced with. Um, my point is that it's making us dig deeper into how humans function, how the brain functions, um, how, what, what we do in, in certain situations. And I think, anyway, I think technology is bringing us to a point of understanding on a more granular level. Are you bored, Jackson? I think it's bringing us to a point of understanding on a more granular level um, who we are, what, what, what we're made of, and, and, and how our mind works so that we can actually evolve. To the next level. Does that mean there'll be less religion or more? Uh, I think in the short run there'll be more because there'll be more fear. And eventually when we hit a point of really understanding how our mind works, there'll be less religion. You know, there's an interesting uh, statistic that um, uniform religion is actually down. Like people are kind of moving away, toward away from religion. But these big arena religions like Joe Oldstein and stuff are increasing. Joe Oldstein, he does his thing at like the arena where like the Houston Rockets play. Oh wow! And he, it's like a giant wow. arena. You know, wow. think of like bigger than Madison Square Garden. Wow! So those are increasing, but re uniform religion as a whole is decreasing. I think I think that's interesting. That is interesting. I wonder how much of that is actually like marketing through technology where it's exactly. like, right? Like no, you can actually point. just corral the people that actually believe in this stuff into a bigger place. Whereas 
a lot of other people, I, you know, again, uh, there's just no consequences for me not believing in a religion. Like, I know you and I have talked about this. We've, I grew up sort of religious. And, and I, it's interesting what kids go through. It's like, as a kid, you really actually take at face value everything you're told, right? You're like, my parents said this, it must be true. So right now, so if you had a smartphone, would you, would you like, hmm, I'm going to Google Moses. Or would you be so, do you think you would be like, okay, I, well, I'm not even, I don't even have to because I, it's real. I, I think you'd still be under the same influence of like, even if you Googled it, um, and you'd, you'd find the resu different results. You'd find the ones that say Moses, you know, Moses was really split the Red Sea and, you know, all the things that, that your religion and your parents are telling you to believe. And then you'd find the naysayers that are telling you this, this never happened. And maybe that seeps into the back of your brain, but we're shaped by the sort of rose-colored glasses we have in front of us, right? So I think as, 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 um, as kid, as little children, we're very much influenced, it, like radically disproportionately, by what our parents tell us, right? So, like for for me, I was just like, okay, well, my parents told me that this is the way things are, right? That on Yom Kippur, I was brought up Jewish, right? Yom Kippur, God seals your fate in the Book of Life, so we have to go to temple. You have to fast and you have to pray the whole day so that you can live another year, basically, right? And so I'm like, I'm taking this very seriously. Like I was because you know the consequences. I won't. Yeah, I want to be in the freaking book of life. I don't want to die. Like, hey God, look at Wait, me. Wait, every year they add you. Every year you have to get rewritten into the book of life. So what happens to last year's edition? Oh well, this year's a new year, and you have to get rewritten. They just toss out God, the book. God has to. No, it's a new book, and God has to add you again. It's a manual process. It's manual labor, and um. And so I was just like, okay, well, I'll do what it takes. Like, I will, I will fast. I will, I will atone. I will. I took it very seriously, and I remember like taking it seriously and thinking everybody else is taking this just as seriously, right? Like it was almost, it was very religious the way we kept it. And then it, we'd go to temple, and people were talking about uh, leaving and what they're going to eat for lunch, and I'm like, blasphemy! <laughs> like, what do you mean lunch? And then, you know, there's all this stuff about no gossip and no talking bad about other people. This is all sinful stuff, right? And then at the end of the day, like, the temple fills up because it's the end of the, this huge holiday. And people are talking shit about each other. And I'm just like, well, how come they're not just dropping dead right now? Because the sun went down and they're sinners and they haven't been written into the book of life if they're doing this. Mm -hmm. So why are they even alive, right? Like... There was that thought, and also, why, what are the consequences? They're in the temple doing this. There's no consequences for them for doing this. And, you know, these were the, the seeds that got planted that this is all just a crack of shit. And I know that we've kind of veered off on some religious tangent right now. But um, I think that no matter what, um, we're, we're very, we're disproportionately influenced when we're very young by whatever authority is in front of us um, and we believe that to be the truth as we grow older we find out truth is way broader I think the internet helps us gain access to more information um, and I think that all this information will help humanity evolve out of fear and into the light basically and not the light well the light in a religious sense or whatever sense light being information and the more information we have the less we have to fear the more we know about ourselves Right? The less we have to fear about how we act and who we are. And the more we know about how the world works, the less we fear about unknown, you know, um, uh, what's the analogy or the story I'm thinking of? Like in the, you know, uh, thousands of years ago, um, well, forget it. I was thinking about something of like, we, we didn't understand the nature of storms or um, germs germs or uh, shooting stars or solar eclipses and we gave them enormous religious significance it must have been the gods doing this and that makes sense when you don't have any other way to explain it we need a narrative around it I think we're taking out this um, we're, we're filling in the details so that there's less of an unknown narrative that becomes myth Right, like mythological gods, and more of like, well, 
on a granular detail. This is how consciousness works. This is how your brain is working. This is how the human species is working. This is how in, this is information. Like we're in the process of gathering all of this data. And right now we're still in this prehistoric mode of using it for power and greed. And I think power and greed will always exist. But when we start to understand the actual value of this, that it is actually advancing humanity, I don't think it'll be in our lifetime at all. Um, we'll start to really see that this is where we're going, right? That we can take out the, the, the pure faith in nothing and religion and start to understand that this is who we really are and this is why we are the way we are. So I guess to, to kind of put a button on all this, what do you, th what would you say to, to folks listening about <laughs> what, 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 how can they prepare for the, uh, for the inevitable uh, Skynet takeover? Um, I'm still with you. I'm, I'm still in this lifetime a bit of like a pessimist. Uh, and to, you quoted Aristotle to quote Nietzsche, man is a bridge between the beast and the overman. I think we're in this, we're building a bridge. Yeah, so but you, you see it as somewhere positive. I see it eventually I, I see it as somewhere positive. In our lifetime, I agree with big. you. Right now, it's going to be something not pleasant. I think we have a storm to ride out. Honestly. Yeah, but we'll be dead. We'll be dead. And, then, and I, I, well, okay. So my message is: find your purpose in your own lifetime, and 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 tr and connect to that. That we 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 each we're we're individual ants, and we're individual bees, and in a colony, and we each each of us has a purpose to something bigger. And sometimes, you know, there's the the monarch butterflies that that spend generations flying from North America to some specific place in Mexico. And it's transgenerational, and some of those butterflies die, live and die, or are born and die in this process. And I think we are in a transgenerational process of evolving humanity. And some of us might be born and die in this process, but we're getting there. And there you have it, folks. Um, brilliant conversation. Obviously, the brilliant side is, is all truly and... I, I did my best not to muck it all up. Uh, you know, one thing that escaped me during the conversation that I was going to follow up and ask her, um, when she mentions the uh, a lot of tech companies are in, uh, enlisting uh, philosophers in, into their uh, internal programming, I'd be curious to know what the philosopher, who the philosophers are, like which ones, because obviously that makes a big that plays a significant role, right? Uh, anyway, I uh, hope you enjoyed our conversation. Uh, Shuli will definitely be back uh, for future conversations. As I always say, you're a part of this conversation too. You're just on the quiet side. Thank you so much. Bodhisattva, go out and do good in the world. Cold-blooded old times. cold Type of memories that turn your bones to glass. Turn your bones to glass. And though you were just a little squirrel, you understood every word. And in this way, they gave you clarity, a cold-blooded clarity, cold-blooded old times, cold-blooded old times, cold-blooded old times. Cold oh, how can I stand? laugh with the man who redefined your body how can I stand and laugh with the man who redefined your body in those cold-blooded old times Cold-blooded old times 
cold-blooded old time.